0: Salam and welcome to another episode of Network Reorient. Today we have with us Dr. Alex Cairo on the politics of Islamic law and institution building in Qatar. So, Alex, uh, please. Introduce yourself and the work that you do.
1: Um, thank you. Um, so My name is Alexander Kahiru. I am um, um, based in Qatar at uh, the College of Islamic Studies in Hamad bin Khalifi University. Um, my work for the last um, 10 years or so has been um, related to Islamic law and the modern transformations of Islamic law. Um, Initially, I worked in Muslim minority contexts, and I was looking primarily at muftis and uh, fatwas uh, in the context of the debates about the fiqh al-aqaliyyat and Muslim jurisprudence for minorities. Um, But I've been based in the Arab world for the last um, ten years, seven years in Qatar, and so my attention has shifted towards uh, the Arab world and increasingly towards the Gulf. And I'm interested in writing a history of law in the emerging Gulf states, in particular Qatar. So. Okay,
0: well, that sounds fascinating. Um, that's, that's certainly something I'd read. Um, so the paper that you delivered at Brismus was entitled The Politics of Islamic Law in the Gulf, Islamic Institutions and Nation Building in Qatar. And so I want to take that's two parts it seems there's two parts to your presentation so i want to take the first part first and ask you what do you mean by the politics of islamic law what does that actually mean
1: okay thank you uh, so the, the politics of islamic law is is um one way of saying of thinking about um the contestations over the place that sharia can occupy within uh, the legal structure of a new, any polity, mm-hmm. right? So it's uh, it's been recently uh, uh, part of the title of a great book about um, Southeast Asia by Isa Vossin. Um, and basically it's, I think, a nice way of thinking about jurisdictional politics, thinking about how uh, state institutions um, in, in the modern period um, have sought uh, to define, regulate, circumscribe the space that Sharia law could occupy within their legal systems, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, okay. So, what I want to do now is move on to the second part and ask, well, how does this impact the Islamic institutions and nation-building in Qatar specifically? So, you've spoken about politics of Islamic law, now let's bring it into Qatar specifically. Right. How does that work?
1: So, Let me tell you how I got interested in okay. this project, because... Um, there, are, there have been some accounts about the histories of legal reform in the region. Right? Mm-hmm. These accounts have been very uh, interesting. Uh, uh, they've been drawn primarily from British archival sources. Okay. So uh, the, the British who emerged in the 19th century as the dominant power in the region. We're mm-hmm. talking about the s- smaller Gulf states mm-hmm. um, uh, on, on the Arab side of the uh, uh, Gulf. Um, were um, protected by the British Mm. um, uh, from the 19th century until um, 1971. And uh, British sources provide very detailed accounts of legal reform, but from a particular perspective, from the perspective of the British uh, authorities and their local uh, allies, Mm -hmm. in a sense. So they are very valuable sources because the British had, I mean, in Doha, they had a resident and two advisors uh, living from the 1950s onwards, and they they provided minutes of discussions with almost all of the relevant actors, uh, as well as discussions or, or assessments of the performance of the legal courts, um, and some actual discussions of case uh, court cases. Um, but these were part of the um, British-led uh, reforms that had brought about a dual legal system, establishing civil courts that initially had jurisdiction only over non-Muslim subjects, British subjects, and other non-Muslim subjects living in the Gulf. We know very little about the local populations, because they would not go to these courts. Um, And so the information about the Sharia courts and and the way Sharia operated in the 20th century um, or in the 19th century is very patchy. what the British sources have to say about it is often uh, based on uh, assumptions about what a proper legal system is. Uh, and, and so the story is familiar. But the British were very critical of the Sharia. They thought it was a, an, an improper legal system for a market. Like all content. Orientalists. Right. Um, and so I'm trying to think about like how did the Sharia operate, right? And how did, um, uh, what would wh- How formal or informal were the legal proceedings in these Sharia courts Mm. and how vibrant um, uh, were the proceedings? I mean, the British had this idea that this was a fixed system that could not respond to changing circumstances, that um, um, uh, the conception of justice was a medieval one, right, and and Mm. therefore ill-equipped to deal with the demands of uh, an emerging oil economy and so on. So what I'm looking at is a different set of archives, the uh, sources from the Sharia courts and from the judges and muftis that worked in those courts. And the picture they paint is a very different one. And so I'm interested in thinking about what, what were the differences between the kind of law that was applied in the Sharia courts and what the British thought was an appropriate legal system. Um, I'm interested in evaluating the the ideas that these were fixed and uh, uh, outdated uh, uh, and uh, 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 a legal system that was unable to respond to changing circumstances. Right.
0: Okay. Okay. And so these new archives that
1: are now emerging help us think about those questions and uh, uh, revise and problematize British Orientalist assumptions Ah, about how the Sharia operated.
0: Very good. Um, I just want to go a bit off track because um, I think we discussed this um, beforehand as well. In terms of having a pluralistic legal system, do you ever look at the later Ottoman period and actually look at comparisons between how Orientalists affected uh, the Ottoman Empire, especially in its later years, with how institutions, courts, laws were built or written? In Qatar, do you look at that? Um,
1: so, so the, the Ottomans—they are actually part of the story also of okay. legal reform in Qatar, but they are a small part of the story. Uh, we um, we haven't really looked at uh, the Ottoman archives. Um, uh, the Ottomans—they in the 19th, so in the nineteenth century, Qatar was. The, a vexed uh, issue because it wasn't clear who had jurisdiction over it. But the Ottomans claimed it and the British claimed it also, especially after the treaty was signed in 1868 with Muhammad Um, al-Thani. We know that the Ottomans used to send judges also to Mm. Qatar um, and that these judges um, uh, or Qadis would um, have some authority over local affairs. Now, the Ottomans sometimes used judges... In a broad manner to refer to local administrators who uh, would collect taxes um, um, and represent Ottoman interests more than sometimes actually solve disputes between uh, different parties and and so actually the, the Ottoman part of the uh, history of uh, legal development in Qatar is very much under researched um, um, now there are of course, uh, other studies uh, of legal reform in the Ottoman Empire. Um, And those are interesting, uh, but they're also uh, part of a different dynamic than the one that is taking place in Qatar. Because in Qatar, um, the 20th century has often been represented as a century of of British-led law and legal reform. The British helped to set up a whole new legal system. And mm. this was very much led from the outside and there was I mean, there's, we have a lot of evidence uh, of how the British then sought to persuade local rulers of the benefits of this kind mm. of uh, legal system to deal with cr- criminal matters, civil matters, traffic uh, mm. and all the new issues that uh, 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 were becoming conflictualized in the 20th century in the aftermath of oil. Uh, and the kind of growing integration of Qatar within uh, global structures of capitalism.
0: Okay. Um, I just want to bring uh, our conversation to the contemporary now, and I'd like to ask, so you've mentioned the British quite a few times, like the British-led, British Orientalism. I want to know how far are the institutions that are around in Qatar now, in terms of the law and the courts, etc., etc., how far do they still carry that influence of British Orientalism or has there been work done that has kind of expunged it or is it still very much there?
1: Yeah, that's a really, really interesting question. Um, so the story of 20th century legal development in Qatar is often told as a story of secularization, mm-hmm. as the uh, story of the uh, development and then dominance of British um, led courts and legislation, right? whereby the space that the Sharia occupied um, became increasingly restricted and circumscribed. Right? Um, and so throughout the 20th century, actually, what you had is a, a struggle over jurisdiction with mm-hmm. Sharia courts operating next to the civil courts, established first by the British and then after independence, taken... Um, or or reestablished in a sense by yeah. the by the rulers, um, and and so throughout the twentieth century, actually there was no clear separation between these two courts. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, the two courts. Uh, if you were a Qatari and wanted uh, to go to court over a civil offense or a criminal offense, you could actually choose uh, which court to go to. Um, uh, th- the sense is that. The local rulers were keen on modernizing the legal system in the British uh, sense and uh, empowering the civil courts, but they realized that there were costs of mm. political costs entailed in undermining the jurisdiction of the sh- existing Sharia courts mm. at a time when the population was still very much favorable to uh, the Sharia courts. So, but eventually they succeeded in doing so. so. Sharia became in the nineteen nineties and then two thousands increasingly restricted to family, Mm -hmm. and nowadays uh, the family courts are not even they're not even referred to as Sharia courts anymore. They're just um, uh, family courts uh, who operate under uh, codified laws, right? From from two thousand six onwards. So this story can be told quite neatly as a kind of secularization story, right? But I think that's only part of the story. I mm-hmm. want to say that there's more, that what, what, what happened is more complex than that. And what happened was, um, you can think of the space of, of, I mean, Sharia became, you could say the work of the Sharia courts became uh, increasingly defined by law and restricted and circumscribed to family matters. Mm-hmm. So in a way, the modern Qatari state sought to. Uh, align the work of the sharia courts and align the work of islamic institutions with modern understandings of what religion is and what the role of religion is mm. um, um, so that's one part of the story and, and there's some plausibility to it i mean so there was in, in the 1950s and 60s sharia courts were doing much more than family matters so mm. they had jurisdiction over other legal issues but they were also doing all sorts of what you'd call today secular okay. uh, issues so they were uh um administering funds um uh uh, properties um uh, especially in the case of orphans in in inheritance Mm -hmm. uh, claims um they were also i mean they had ritual functions of course building mosques and cemeteries and so on but they were also doing things like providing water to villages up in the north right so they had so so uh, they, it, it wouldn't fit with the modern definition of what the work of religious institutions is. So over time, the modern state has sought to channel those and circumscribe and delimit in a way that conforms much more closely to what we think is the work of religious institutions. But I think if you look at the records that we have available to us um, in Qatar, these are materials coming from the presidency of Sharia courts. Mm-hmm. You also see that throughout the 20th century, especially the second half of the 20th century, uh, what these institutions did is, is manage is that they managed to integrate Islam into the structures of the emerging modern nation state in Qatar. Uh, mm-hmm. they, so they you have uh, you see the the judges uh, in Qatar, Sheikh Abdullah bin Al Mahmoud was the chief judge. Uh, they were constant. They, they were in negotiations and in discussions with. Uh, different ministerial bodies helping to define the work of the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Interior, the Ministry of uh, 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 Public Works, Public Affairs and so on, in in ways that allow you to think about the modern development of Islamic law and legal reform also as a, a process whereby Islamic norms came to disseminate and be diffused throughout different state institutions and where Islam came to operate as a kind of the morality of um, uh, Qatari society in ways that were not possible before. Right? In mm-hmm. other words, what I'm trying to say is that the scope of Sharia actually expanded in the course of the 20th century through its integration into a modern state apparatus. It, it wasn't only that it became I mean, legally confined to a specific issue, it was also that it became a moral force within society. It became reconceptualized in those terms. Uh, And that's important because uh, the uh, standard accounts um, tell the story of legal reform as a story of loss from a a kind of past whereby Sharia occupied the whole of social and legal uh, affairs. Um, uh, In the case of Qatar, because it was a, a, a very uh, weakly institutionalized polity. Right? Mm. I mean, it, it was poor and, and, and uh, inhabited by a combination of nomadic and settled tribes for most of the uh, for most of its history. Uh, with no state institutions, very few schools or universities, Well, uh, very few schools. Um, um, and you can see that Sheikh Abdullah bin Zayed Al-Mahmud, for example, the kinds of the sermons that he would issue, do would stress very basic things. So I think um, it is difficult to say that Sharia ruled unchallenged. Uh, it's probably much more likely that a combination of tribal laws and commercial uh, laws were the driving legal uh, structures of places like Qatar uh, until the mid-20th century. And so it's with the modern state apparatus that actually Sharia expands and becomes perhaps not so much an independent legal structure as some of the religious scholars try to uh, have, but more diffusely as a a kind of the moral uh, basis of emerging Qatari state institutions and of Qatari society more generally. Okay,
0: thank you very much, Alex. Thank you. This has been another episode of Network Reorient. Thank you for tuning in. Please have a listen to some of our other episodes and leave a rating.